Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 2. There we find a summary of God's word as follows. From where do you know your sins and misery? From the law of God. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in a summary in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first, this is the great and first commandment and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Can you keep all this perfectly? No. I'm inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 54, the stanzas 1, 2, and 8. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, Home, that's where we are most comfortable. We are surrounded there with things that are familiar to us. That's where we know where we can find things that we need, where we have access to them, where we are at home. When we are at home, we feel free. That's where you have your favorite chair, your own bed, your own possessions. It's also where you are surrounded by your loved ones. That's where you're comfortable with each other, where you can speak your mind and be yourselves. When you are away from home, then you miss your familiar surroundings. It's hard to be away from home, especially when you are young. And that is the hardest, the farther you are away from home and the stranger the place that you're in. The longer you are gone from home, the more miserable you feel. Lord's Day 2 deals with our sin and misery. In the original German edition, the word elend is used. It's from the Latin ex land. It means out of the land. And so essentially it means away from home. Misery then has to do with being away from home. We can identify with that. No doubt you children can as well. Sometimes your parents have to go away and they can't take you along. Then you have to stay at somebody else's house. And then while your mom and dad are gone, you miss them, doubt you. You want to be home again. It's not just the case with children, but also when you get older. Home is where your heart is. But sometimes things can happen that drive you away from home. You can have a fight with your parents or with your wife or your husband. Your own pride and selfishness can drive you away from home. And that's also what happened to the young man in the parable of the lost son. He was selfish and broke the bond with his father. And then he left home to fend for himself. But once he got to his senses, he longed to be home again. 
That's also the way it should be with us regarding our heavenly home. Except often we don't realize what miserable creatures we are and what miserable circumstances we actually live in. Our good health, our fat bank accounts keep us from thinking about our heavenly home. And when that happens, we are estranged from our Father. Therefore, the knowledge of our sins and misery has to teach us to want to be home with him. That's what I want to preach to you about this afternoon. The theme is as follows. Our sins and misery teach us the comfort of home. Look at two things, how far we have wandered away from home. In the second place, the reason we wandered away from home. The Catechism tells us that we know our sins and misery from the law of God. But what does that mean? For this can be easily misunderstood and abused. We could, for example, use the law as a kind of checklist. Just like a mechanic has a checklist to see how roadworthy a car is. He will check the tires to see if there is enough tread left and then the brakes is there enough brake fluid? If not, he'll top it up. And he'll check the oil. Is it low? Does it need changing? And what about the timing belt? And what about the other belts and the radiator? Are they tight enough? Are they fraying? And so forth, and so forth. He has a whole checklist to make sure that everything is in good working order. If not, then that has to be fixed first. And then it will be roadworthy. And some people think that the law is such a checklist for us as well. How well I'm doing depends on how well I keep the law. And so let me see. Is God number one in my life? Well, I regularly go to church and I pray and I read the Bible and I do my best to lead a Christian lifestyle. Check. What about using God's name in vain? Well, I never blaspheme. I don't curse like the people at work. Check. Do I steal? Well, I don't do that either. I'm also faithful to my marriage partner. I don't cheat. Oh, sure, I'm not perfect in these things, but I'm sure a lot better than most others. And that's how the rich young man used the law as well, as a checklist. He had examined himself and came to the conclusion that he did not murder, that he did not commit adultery, that he did not steal, and that he get, did not give false testimony, and that he honors his father and his mother, and that he loves his neighbor as himself. All these commandments, he says, I have kept. What do I still lack? He wanted a pat on the back from the Lord Jesus to be commended for what he had done. But, brothers and sisters, that's work righteousness. That goes radically against what the gospel is all about. And yet, that's how we all tend to look at the law. Me too, that's our nature. We always want to go back to the idea that we can earn a place with our Father in heaven with something that we have done. The Judaizers 
Paul writes against in, the, in his letter to the Galatians, they wanted to do it with regard to the keeping of the Old Testament ceremonial laws. And the Roman Catholic Church also wants to do it with regard to good works. And the Arminians as well. And so do those who think that our faith makes us worthy in God's eyes. And because of man's pride, we want to be able to contribute in one way or the other to our salvation. We're always thinking of ways to escape from our predicament because of our sin. For we know that we're guilty, but then we want to find a way out without really repenting from our sin. Just imagine if the lost son had done the same. Suppose he only wanted to get out of the tight spot that he got himself into. He says to himself, oh, look at what I've done. I've squandered the money my father has given me, and now I'm in deep trouble. What can I do? I've got nothing left. Anything is better than I have now. And so let me find a way in which I can get back into my father's graces and get back into his home. At least then I'll have a square meal every day. Even if I have to keep the rules of the house to do it, it'll be worth it. Now, if that's the attitude that he had, he would never really have repented, would he have? For then he would not have had a change of heart. For he would still be using his father for his own selfish ends. The only reason he would want to go back home would be to get himself out of a difficult situation. He would only be opportunistic. Same thing is true of the rich young man. Note well the question that he asks the Lord Jesus. He asks him what good thing he must do to get eternal life. He thinks about what he can get for himself. That's his only interest. And that's why answer four is right on the money. It doesn't give you a whole list of do's and don'ts. It doesn't come with this commandment and that commandment and with this rule and that rule. No, it tells you about love. It tells you that you have to love God and your neighbor. Now we come to the heart of the matter. The keeping of the law it's not about you or me. It is not about how we can earn ourselves a place in heaven. No, it is about our relationship with God and with our neighbor. It is about our covenant relationship. It is only when you understand that fully that you can have a joyful life and that you can experience the true comforts of home. Imagine if it were that way in your own home. The only thing you're concerned about is your own comfort and well-being. You don't really care about anybody else in the home. It doesn't really matter to you that you deny them their comforts and their rights. No, you want the best things of home for yourself. And so you do whatever you feel like and get, you can get away with. You leave your clothes where you take them off. You leave the dishes for somebody else to do. You come home whenever you want. You eat whatever you feel like and whenever you feel like without considering the needs of others, 
without considering whether or not the other members in the family would go hungry. You don't contribute anything except by doing the bare minimum. Well, you can well imagine that such an attitude will cause all kinds of friction in your home. Your parents or your husband or your wife will soon get on your case for you're not doing your share. They will be angry with you and that will show also in their angry and disappointed faces. And so in the end, you do not learn your misery by looking at the law, but by looking at the lawgiver, your father in heaven. When you look him in the face, then you see the disappointment on his face and you will realize how selfish you are in the way that you behave. Ultimately, you learn your sins and misery by looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. He teaches you. That's also what it says in Galatians 3 verse 24, namely, that the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Lord's Day 1, we were introduced right away to him. It is only because of him that we can have comfort in our Father's home. It is only because of him that we can have access to all the riches that are found there. For we, for we belong to him, body and soul. Our older brother, the Lord Jesus, bought us with his precious blood and in this way has made us part of God's family again. And therefore, Lord's Day 2 cannot be understood without Lord's Day 1. You first have to realize the love of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's only then that you can deal and see your own sins. When you look at him, then you have to ask yourself, why did he have to die? Why did he have to empty himself of the glory that he had already with the Father in heaven? Why did he have to give up the comforts of his heavenly home? Why did he have to allow himself to be forsaken by God? Why did his Father in heaven have to push him away from him? And then the answer becomes clear. It's because of my sin. It's because of my inability to do any good. Christ is the one who kept the law for us. And if you see the wonderful things that he has done for us and the great love that he has for us, then you also realize what you and I have done and how far we have wandered away from home. And when you come to that realization, you will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the question is, why did we wander away from home in the first place? It's the second point. What was the reason? Well, you have to go back to paradise. The Lord God had given Adam and Eve a most beautiful home. They had everything there they could possibly want. But then they sinned. They wanted more. They wanted to go their own way. They thought only about themselves and not about their Father in Heaven who supplied them with everything that they had. And so they spoiled the atmosphere in their home. And because of that, they had to be ousted. And that's the way it has been ever since. 
And now it is still our nature to want to please ourselves at the expense of our relationship with God and at the expense of our relationship with our neighbor. That is why the Catechism reminds us that we must love God and our neighbor as ourselves. Perhaps you think it's a bit exaggerated, but there is a lot more to this than we are willing to admit. We may even have a certain sympathy for the younger son, for the one that ran away from home. He griped, you will say maybe, he grabbed the opportunity to try to make his on his own. Is that something so bad to do? Don't we all want our independence? Oh sure, he should not have squandered his money the way that he did spending it on prostitutes and high living. But people have done worse things than that. We all do stupid things at times, especially when we are young. Wasn't, was that all that terrible? It wasn't. But what he actually did was much worse than that. For look at what he actually did. What did the son do to his father? He said in effect to his father, Father, as far as I'm concerned, you can drop dead. You're nothing to me. You may say, well, it's an exaggeration. But really, that's the way it was. The only thing that really tied him to his father was his father's money. For the rest, he didn't care about him. His heart was cold. He cared only about himself and his own pleasures. But then he realizes what he has done. And he humbles himself and says to him, Father, I realize what I've done, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's exactly the way it was. For he had severed all his ties with home. And that's the picture that God also wants you and me to have of our sins. The fact that we have sinned means that we have severed our ties with the Lord God, and we do that time and again. When we sin, we place God outside of our lives. Then it is as if he is dead to us. And that is why we have to be called back. We have to repent. We have to be called home. For we continually walk away from home. And if you continually do that without repenting, then in the end you'll end up in the ditch someplace. We walk away from the Father all the time, don't we? I know I do. We do not want to keep all the rules. We want to create our own comfort. But then when we realize what it means to be away from home, from the Father, then once again you realize that only with him you can be happy. For our true riches are with him. Our true riches are not found here on earth. And that's the mistake that the rich young man made. He only thought about himself and about the earthly comforts that he had. He did not want to give it up. And the terrible thing is that he did not realize the true riches that he rejected, the true riches that he could find by following the Lord Jesus all the way. One of the hardest things for us to do is to examine ourselves and to realize our own misery. We look at how well we are doing in this life and we are quite satisfied with ourselves. And that's because we look at just the periphery of how we function. 
we look at the outside and conclude that, generally speaking, we are doing quite well. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, we have our moments. But by and large, we are not such bad people. We do what we need to do and get along with most people quite well. But we have to dig a little deeper. We have to look inside our hearts. And if you truly examine your heart, then you also see the dark side of your heart. Then you see how your temper, your impatience, the way you treat others, your irritability, your judgmental attitude, how you're very thinking about others, how that hurts your relationship with others, and especially how that hurts your relationship with the Lord God. We're very observant when it comes to the behavior of others. We really feel it when they step on our toes and on the toes of others. We clearly see how selfish such people are that do that and how they do not take others, especially yourself, into consideration. It's easy for us to be critical of others. But oh boy, when it comes to ourselves, often we are blind to our own behavior. Some people never really reach inside to their own heart to see how badly they behave and how others see them. They're blind. They keep on doing the same selfish things and yet go around as if they have it all together. They don't look inside of themselves. As if they have an impenetrable steel plate in their head and around their heart. But that's what God requires from us. He wants us to realize our miserable condition. He wants us to realize how far we have walked away from him. For when you are away from your father, then you experience misery in the deepest sense. But at the same time, you also feel great joy. And those two must always go together. Think about David, how that functioned with him. Think about how he suffered when he no longer felt his father's presence. In Psalm 32, he expresses his feelings. He says that his bones were wasting away because of his groaning all day long. Day and night, he felt God's heavy hand on him. His strength, he said, was sapped as in the heat of summer. Talk about misery. That's how he felt when he no longer experienced God's presence. But he was allowed to come home, wasn't he? When he realized how he sinned against God, and after he confessed his sins from the heart, then once again, God opened the door to him. He rejoiced. He says in Psalm 32, verse 7, You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. At home, he felt safe. He felt protected. He felt wanted. He once again experienced the joy of salvation. And brothers and sisters, when you realize your sins and your misery, and when you confess your sins, then the Lord God also opens up his arms to you, just like the father did in the parable of the lost son. When the son came home, there was no guard in front of the Lord who said to him in front of the door, what are you doing here? You no longer belong, you no longer belong here. No, the father opened the door to him. 
and that's also the way it is for you and for me. A Father in heaven opens the door to us, and he does that time and again, for we walk away from him time and again. We sin against him day in, day out, but every time he forgives us our sins, and he opens the doors wide. And you know who that door is, don't you? That door is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says about himself in the Gospel of John in chapter 10. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The door is Jesus Christ. Because of him and through him we may enter. And so isn't it a great miracle that time and again we may come home? And doesn't that show God's great love for us? We have to realize how rich we have it in God's home. We may not wander away. We may not wander away, not because of the riches he gives us in the first place, but because of the relationship that he has established with us. It's about God's love for us and our love for him. Look at what that young man did in the parable of the lost son. He received all that money, his inheritance, at first, he thought that he had won the jackpot. He lived it up. He had a great time. But it was an empty life. Soon reality set in. He examined himself in the right way. He not only looked at outward obedience, but he examined his heart. And it is then that he repented, truly repented. Brothers and sisters, that includes you boys and girls and all of us. The Lord God wants us home with him. That's why he sent his son, so that he could prepare a place for us. He has done everything possible to make that happen. There is nothing that stands in the way except that we must also want to be home with him. We must believe that he is a loving father in heaven who likes nothing better than to have his children around him. And so, brothers and sisters, believe. Believe God's sure promises that he will be a father to all those who want to be in his presence. And then the Lord God will call you home forever. Amen.